Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020. Uh, we've got two of our reporters talking about two major uh, areas we're going to cover today. One will be Puerto Rico. Uh, Ava Lorenz will be discussing actually two major things within Puerto Rico. Uh, last week, the Puerto Rico Financial Oversight and Management Board, the FOMB, approved its version of the Commonwealth Fiscal Plan, uh, requiring the government to implement a structural reform to grow the economy as it puts a one-year pause on government right-sizing. But questions about the fate of the debt restructuring were left unanswered. And, but more importantly, uh, yesterday was a Supreme Court decision on the legality of the appointment of the members of the FOMB, and she'll be discussing that. Second up will be Kathy O'Donnell. Uh, she'll be discuss discussing uh, how in the muni market with very limited price discovery, how high yield muni bond investors are waiting. The market is still adjusting. So Kathy O'Donnell will talk about that the work that she's done with our other senior reporter, Kaylin Devitt. All right, good morning, Ava Lorenz in San Juan, Puerto Rico. How are you? Fine, how are you? Good, thank you for asking. I uh, hope everything is safe down there with you and your family. Yes, everything, thank goodness, is fine. Good. We're still a little bit on quarantine, but they're still, they have eased, eased it. So, so um, hopefully by next week or so, we're gonna be, no longer have the, the curfew, hopefully. Oh, okay, I see, good. Well, good luck with that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, let's talk about Puerto Rico and a lot of major stuff has happened in the last two days, I'm sorry, last week and yesterday. But uh, I know you're gonna talk about the fiscal plan, but let's talk about the major Supreme Court decision from yesterday. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, well, yesterday, it was, this was really big news because for closely more than a year, um we have we do not we haven't known we do not know what the fate of the financial oversight and management board was going to be and finally the supreme court yesterday ruled that the members of the oversight board were constitutionally appointed and um uh, the decision was supported by all nine members or of the supreme court there were two concurrent opinions but it, it nonetheless it was supported by all nine and of course it puts an end to the uncertainty uh, that began in August 2017 when of course Aurelius Investments and other bondholders uh, challenged the constitutionality of the board. Now the board was appointed through a procedure created by uh, former President Barack Obama in which uh, the names of the board members were selected from a list uh, provided by the by the uh, congressional leadership, and of course um, they were not subjected to Senate confirmation. Aurelius has said that uh, this violated the appointment clause that says that uh, presidential appointees have to get Senate confirmation. Uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, oh, one of the things I forgot. One of the things that Aurelius said was that because the Financial Oversight and Management Board was making decisions that had a nationwide impact, 
that they are considered federal officers. But the Supreme Court said that uh, the the Financial Oversight Board uh, was pretty much in charge of, was pretty much a local board in the sense that they are pretty much in charge of, of everything that is done locally and uh, it can hold hearings or, and they qualified as local officials. So one of the things that the, the Supreme Court did is they, they, it declared the board as a territorial board instead of um, a, a federal, a board comprised by federal officers. And as a result, it said, well, because, they're, because they are a local officials, they don't have to comply with the appointments clause of the constitution. Um, this decision, of course, um, has had some repercussions locally in the sense that uh, um, the nine justices of the Supreme Court said that because they, they, they have already reached a decision, they didn't have to uh, overrule the so-called insular cases, which pretty much said that Puerto Rico can be treated differently from other U.S. states. And also, they um, they didn't have to go into other uh, arguments that were raised in the initial uh, hearing. Now, uh, the the uh, a lot of people were disappointed because they expected the board to overturn the insular cases, uh, which they feel are discriminatory towards Puerto Rico. Another important issue that came out was uh, Sonia Sotomayor. Um, she issued a concurrent opinion in which she actually questioned the constitutionality of PROMESA, arguing that the powers of the board violate the 1952 compact between Puerto Rico and the United States that pretty much said that uh, Puerto Rico was no longer a colony of the United States because it had achieved self-government. Now, the, the Supreme Court in previous rulings has consistently said that Puerto Rico is a territory, so subject to the plenary powers of Congress. So Sotomayor was pretty much defending the current com Commonwealth illegality of the current Commonwealth status. So that was hailed as, as something good. Um, and, and another important thing that I have to mention is that while yesterday's decision puts an end to PROMESA's challenges regarding the uh, legality of the board members, I have to mention that recently, as a matter of fact, uh, last week, insurance company AMBAC Assurance started another battle, and this one has to do with the constitutionality of PROMESA itself on the grounds that it is a bankruptcy law separate from other procedures. And that, of course, there has to be, um, this violates, the con their argument is that PROMESA violates the Constitution, that a clause that says that there has to be uniformity in bankruptcy laws. So now that that's another challenge that is filled up. It's, it's a new challenge against PROMESA that is in the courts, and we have to wait and see what is going to happen with that. Right. Well, you know, it's still going on in the courts and it's going to continue on, I'm sure, for a while. But thank you for the update on the uh -huh. landmark Supreme Court decision. I know it's been around for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's. But speaking of the FOMB, let's talk about uh, what happened last week with the FOMB and their fiscal plan. What were some of the most important aspects of FOMB's fiscal plan? Well, um, 
the fiscal plan um, focuses on, a, it's first of all, it established a one-year pause in government right-sizing to allow the government to implement changes in the way it delivers services. For instance, the board wants the education department to implement a time and attendance reporting policy a managed student-teacher ratio. Another thing that the board wants Puerto Rico to do is uh, overhaul the health department uh, so it saves money through a centralized procurement of supplies. And it also says that the Department of Public Safety should move uh, officers from administrative positions and put them in the field uh, so they can uh, curb crime. Uh, however, uh, the fiscal plan also includes um, six billion in investments in fiscal e years uh, 2020 through 2025 um, to improve the teaching of English, enhance the island's technology, and provide back pay to police officers. However, um, um, uh, it does. It, this one-year pause is pretty much on all the government right-sizing, in other words, the consolidation. Uh, it includes the consolidation of government agencies and the um, consolidation of administrative offices. The, the board told the, um, the government, look, we're going to give you a one-year break, so you don't have to do that right now, but instead focus on the way you deliver services. Um, so it says pretty much that the government should focus all of its efforts in fiscal year 2021 on the real changes that will assure uh, the delivery of uh, essential services. Um, and that one of the things that the board said the government that the government wants to do is invest in technology to improve uh, to improve access to broadband in rural areas. Uh, investing in the hurricane reconstruction efforts, um, also try to create a fiscal, uh, um, overhaul the Puerto Rico uh, PRIPCO, which is the um, development company, uh, industrial development company. And, uh, and one of the things that it's also mentioned in the uh, fiscal plan is uh, which which has not been mentioned that much publicly is the impact that a recent decision by the first circuit court of appeals is going to have on the island now recently the first circuit court of appeals issued a ruling related to the eligibility of puerto rico residents uh, uh, to obtain supplemental security income benefits uh, this benefit is not was not available in Puerto Rico, but some individuals challenged that, and the first circuit said that Puerto Rico was entitled to get supplemental security income, which is uh, benefits that are given to individuals uh, who have some disability and limited income and some who are disabled. Uh, now, the, this decision, the, um, the U.S. government has not decided yet whether it's going to take it all the way to the Supreme Court. They still have until July to appeal this ruling. However, if they don't do that, that means that the residents of Puerto Rico are entitled to get this SSI benefit, and this could be an, be an additional $1 billion 
in incremental annual federal transfers uh, to Puerto Rico. So that's pretty much in a nutshell what the uh, what the oversight boards the, the highlights of the fiscal plan. I see. So uh, be before I get to my last que my last question, let me can you elaborate a, a little bit about the economic projections? Yes. Well, um, the in the fiscal plan, the oversight board projects that uh, Puerto Rico will contract by four percent four percent in the current fiscal year, and there will be a mild recovery of about zero point five percent in the coming fiscal year. 2021 because of federal funds related to COVID-19 and federal funds uh, hurricane related to the hurricanes and earthquakes uh, we had over, you know, over the past three years. However, even with the full, you know, with the full implementation of all structural changes and everything, uh, the oversight board says that Puerto Rico's economy will contract during the next, over the next five years despite that small economic growth. So so even with all these changes that in, in terms of the way the government operates, the oversight board has says that, that the economy will, will contract. And of course, there will only be a surplus for between 2020, fiscal year 2020 and 2032 as a result of the fiscal crisis caused by COVID-19 of about eight billion only, so so it's according to to the oversight board, we really are not going to have any growth over the next five years at least. Okay, well, yes, that that's good for the update. Now here's the last, but most probably one of the most important questions: How is Puerto Rico going to be able to pay its debt? Well. Uh, the Financial Oversight and Management Board has pretty much said that Puerto Rico cannot pay its debt. And in February, they they requested, they asked the court to pause the debt adjustment plans, and we don't know when is that process going to resume. Supposedly, the Oversight Board is in mediation and in negotiations to try to uh, change those those debt adjustment plans. And in the fiscal plan, uh, the, the, the oversight board pretty much says that the government of Puerto Rico cannot afford, this is its wording, the government of Puerto Rico cannot afford to meet its current contractual debt obligations, even with aggressive implementation of the included reforms and measures uh, that are contained in the fiscal plan. And it pretty much says that the effect of the natural disasters, uh, and the uh, decades-long recession uh, have left Puerto Rico with diminished resources. This is something that has been worsened by the, the COVID-19 fiscal crisis. Um, in terms of the, the impact that the COVID-19 uh, had on the island, it pretty much the economy is, is going, that's, this is what the board has said, that the government is going to lose $6 billion between now and next year. So, so in the in the fiscal plan, they pretty much are saying that right now, the government it's not even able to comply with the debt obligations that are in the debt adjustment plan. I see. Okay. Well, Eva, thank you so much for the update. Thank you for your work in Puerto Rico. And uh, again, stay safe out there. Yes. Thank you very much.
Kathy O'Donnell in Harrisburg, PA. How are you? I'm doing well, Young. How are you doing? All right. Uh, another day, another week. Um, it, it's another month, but you know, it, to me, mm-hmm. it's all the same. So it's all <laughs> big. It's all a big blur. But um, let's talk about a series of articles that you and um, our colleague, senior reporter Kaylin David, have been doing for some time now, reporting on within the municipal uh, market, high yield and regarding price discovery. And before I go any further, for our, we do have some listeners out there who are not as familiar with public finance immunities. If you want to step, step back a little bit and sort of, if you can, explain what price discovery is and maybe briefly what high yield is before we get into the articles that you and Caitlin have written. Sure, sure, Young. Um, by high yield, what I'm referring to are bonds um, where the risk of an investor not getting paid back is greater, and then hence the need for said investor to get paid more yield to take on that risk. And unlike the stock market where you can see stocks trade daily, um, municipal bonds can trade you know, infrequently, and that uh, obviously can make it difficult to ascertain where the price of a particular bond, you know, the point where a buyer and a seller would like, are likely to meet, where that point really is. Um, so, so that's, that's, uh, kind of what we're talking about here with price right. discovery. That, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, the story we've been watching, um, for a while now, uh, Caitlin and I, um, pretty much since the big, uh, sell off in high yield or the mini market that we had in late March is when the real shakeout in the high yield area, particularly some of the more speculative names is likely to occur. Um, And as I don't have to remind anyone, um, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has really dramatically impacted um, all of us, including a number of municipal bond credits. Um, For example, the American Dream Project in East Rutherford, New Jersey, uh, which was uh, forced to close temporarily just as um, its long-awaited retail portion was set to to debut. So, um, you know, and you can think of obviously – Things like stadiums, transportation, all types of different things have been impacted by this. And I think it's fair to say this was not something people had built into their model. <laughs> um, but I know that um, when Caitlin spoke with David Hammer, who's uh, PIMCO's head of municipal um, bond portfolio management, he told her that one of the things that's likely to emerge from this situation is that high-yield investors can start to demand better collateral and and better protections um, in their deals. A significant number of deals uh, came to market in the past three years or so without such protections, and and those are going to need to get repriced, he said. Um, He also told me that some of the more liquid areas of the high-yield market, things like tobacco bonds or Puerto Rico sales tax or COFINA bonds, the things that trade more frequently and some of them attract non-traditional investors, um, they have more transparency because, you know, that, that, that kind of frequent trading and, you know, uh, kind of um, interest by investors creates more price transparency. But for some of the other names, uh, particularly some of the smaller, less well-known deals, um, the price discovery really in those areas is just not there yet. Uh, and what he thinks is that um, there's going to be three ways that pricing will be discovered. That's either through a restructuring um, also, like a new deal getting brought to the primary market and uh, a retail holder selling odd lots. So we'll start to see, you know, kind of some 
um, more clarity on pricing through through those things. I see. Well, like you said, Caitlin spoke to people. You, I know that you spoke with um, Nick Foley. I believe his name is a senior portfolio. Por, excuse me, a senior portfolio manager at Siegel, Bryan, and Hamill, and he said that these uh, credit situations can take a while to play out. Why is that? Yes, and what he told me was, you know, after the initial crisis points or paradigm shift, you know, it can, can take a while for defaults to start and for these kind of credit situations to come to fruition because obviously, you know, people are looking for ways to, um, you know, to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, fix things or, you know, and they're trying to maybe, they have some cash they burn, you know, they're trying to, you know, they can burn through. So um, the, he, what he told me is he expects that the real ray, wave of credit stress, you know, is still is still coming here, and uh, and you know, Mr. Foley isn't alone. Um, you know, he and some other folks have expressed some skepticism about the levels um, of where some high yield bonds traded versus where the actual you know risk is, and um, one of the names that he cited to me was the Florida Development Finance Corporation's Virgin Trains USA Passenger Rail Project. Um, which people would know as Brightline. And one of the things he said to me was he couldn't think of a worse place to put money, you know, when we were speaking a while ago, uh, right now than, you know, a train system that's financed by high yield debt that's not operating. Um, obviously, you know, the, there's a reluctance of people, you know, even when things get better here to maybe, you know, who knows, gather together in tight spaces. So, right. um, so that's, uh, that's a bit of a concern. But, um, but Caitlin also spoke with Dan Salander, who's lead per municipal portfolio manager at Lord Abbott. And he said the high yield market, um, from his standpoint, is, you know, could be getting a bad rap from people who are not, may not even be buyers in the space. Um, and for example, he cited, you know, a sharp drop in tobacco bond prices since February, um, which he said doesn't appear to make a whole lot of sense, given that Tobacco use, as you can imagine, might be up given that people are at home during the pandemic. Um, and what he said was he thinks that, you know, the market um, is still in you know, pretty good shape. You know, obviously it's, you know, under some additional pressure, but, you know, things have not really changed, you know, as dramatically as some would say. Yeah, that's interesting about um, what Solander said about how prices, tobacco bond prices are down, but yet, you know, it doesn't appear to make much sense because people are at home and you would think they're, I mean, I know personally people that I know are just taking it easy. <laughs> they're using this. Some people are taking <laughs> advantage of this time to be really productive. And unfortunately there are people I know that are becoming the opposite. So, but I'll leave it at that. So yeah. well, okay. I think that in times of trouble, you can always count on vices like cigarettes and things like that. <laughs> always a good investment. E e yes, the uh, the so-called uh, sin, sin taxes, as they call sin, it. Right? Yep, <laughs> sin is in in times of trouble. Apparently. <laughs> All right. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thanks to you and Kaylin thank for, you, your, for your work, and uh, stay safe out there. Okay. Thank you. You too, Young. Take care. Okay. Bye, bye. Bye. And that's our show for today. Thanks to our participants, Kathy O'Donnell, Abel Lorenz, and our producer Christian Ayala. But as always, thanks to you, our listeners out there who tune in week after week. Uh, in light of what's going on out there, please stay safe. Let's stay peaceful. Or let's stay calm. And we will get this through all of this together. But we'll catch you again next week on the Mean Lowdown. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Mean Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. 
If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.